This episode is sponsored by Magic Mind. When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back, and this is the HTML All Things Podcast. This episode is titled AI Prompts for Success as a Web Developer. So the objective of this episode is to give some people some prompt ideas to help themselves learn web development, start projects, and troubleshoot problems. We're going we're not gonna be going into specific prompts too much. I do have an example of me having a back and forth with a bot, but obviously I'm not going to recite entire conversation that I've had with one of these generative AI bots. So we're going to be talking about sort of how to steer the conversation, what you should be, you know, kind of saying to fix problems. Can you ask for code? Those type of things. That's what we're going to be addressing. And then we're also going to be discussing two different chat programs for the most part. We're going to be talking about ChatGPT. That's Mike's uh, sort of chat program of choice, I guess you could say. And then I use Copilot, both in Edge and also uh, in Windows, which is in preview currently. Uh, That's the Bing chat powered, chat GPT-4 powered, blah, 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 whole thing too. But it's called Copilot now. uh, And it's also in the Bing app on Android if you just use Bing chat. Yeah, not to be confused with GitHub Copilot, which is also using the same APIs and named spectacularly. I love the fact that they've just reused the same name to confuse everyone. Well done, I guess, combination of Microsoft and uh, OpenAI. I don't know. <laughs> this is exactly why I wanted to like make sure it's like I'm using the Windows 11 one and the one in Edge. And then occasionally I'll use Bing for Bing chat. They're all the same-ish. They have some differences. But it's not GitHub Copilot. It's it's a bit nuts to, right now. The marketing is a bit crazy, just like how we call the Xboxes the Xbox Series and then X and S. Anyway, bit of a branding thing, but... I like Copilot. So anyway, we'll get into that. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server, share this with your friends. And remember that we do have a Scrimba affiliate link if you want to save money on a Scrimba subscription and you want to learn how to code with an interactive media uh, media player code editor where you can pause what the instructor is doing, manipulate the code that's on the screen. You have a question that you just want to see if you can break something like, hey, will a number work here? Pause it. Try the number. Oh, it doesn't. What's the error, et cetera. So go and give that a try. There's a bunch of free courses as well as you can try those out. See if you like the like how they do things and like the actual code editor within the media player. And then you can sign up for a subscription with our link, which will be in the show's description. If your podcast app supports links, if it does not, it will be on htmlallthethings.com with the show notes. I do have the link. I do have a, a shortened version of the link. Breaking news, scrimba.com slash links slash hat. And that's H-A-T-T. There's a double T there at the end. So again, scrimba.com slash links slash hat with a double T at the end. And the old link will still work as far as I know. So you can still use the old link in older episodes, of course. Uh, So don't worry about that. If you're like, oh, shoot, I clicked the old one. That one should, should still work just fine. But let's uh, let's kick it off with some AI stuff. So I, I broke this episode up into 
uh, different areas. The first one is going to be some general tips, and I'm sure Mike will chime in a little bit on these. These are just sort of things that I do when I tell people like, okay, you know, you, you haven't used AI. I'm chatting with them and they're interested in using it. These are sort of like just some quick general tips I'd use to get started. And then we're going to go into prompts for learning, which is how to, you know, ask for questions. Can you ask for examples? And how do you really sort of treat this thing, which melds into the general tips sort of thing? And then I have did a uh, I did an example where I asked Copilot in different contexts for, you know, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? In a continued conversation, one of them was in a refreshed conversation, and we'll have a chat about those things. And then within that, we're also going to talk about some of the pitfalls and issues, because these things are very early. And I do want to state that now early in the episode, that these things are very early. They do make mistakes. They do get things wrong because they are sourcing humans and humans get things wrong. So just don't treat these things as the end all be all. Oh, my God. You know, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. They're very cool, but they're very early. So. Let's kick it off here. Let's just say you're a person that is never used AI before and you you and I are chatting at a party or something. And you're like, you know, I, I wouldn't mind trying it. But what do I do? Like, what do I ask for? And this is something that I struggled with when I first started talking to AI because people kept saying this generative AI stuff is really cool. And I liked watching the content that was made around it. I liked seeing the pictures that people were, were getting drawn. I liked seeing the prompts that they were getting getting done. I liked people testing it to its limits to try to get it the, to say that it would destroy all humanity and stuff like that. Right. Things like that. Just, you know, funny little things and whatever. And I like seeing that. But then when kind of it was put in front of me, I think. Well, what do I say? You know, I I'm not there to make content about this. What do I use this thing for? And so I tell people to treat AI. If you're asking for help to actually ask it for help, like you're asking a friend for help. If you're asking one of your buddies for help and you're like or you're trying to and they don't respond, you can probably insert a similar prompt, a similar question to AI and it will help you, especially in the developer space, of course. Obviously, there's some personal details and stuff. If you're asking your buddy for help with something personal, you don't want to do. But if I'm, say, asking Mike, if I ask him, okay, you know, hey, what is HTML? I don't know what HTML is. I can, and he doesn't answer because he's gone. I can very easily ask the AI bot, hey, what is AI or what is HTML? And, you know, what, you know, how does it work? Give me some examples. You know, if, if I'm trying to learn AI, you know, what, what resources should I go to? Things like that. So you can just sort of phrase your questions. You can phrase your questions just like you're asking your buddy for help or in more of a con- conversational way, which is sort of the way I'm trying to get it at, get, get to it. Because many of us have come off of assistants like Google Assistant, for example, or Siri, for example, where they're they're smart, like they've been getting smarter and smarter and they've been able to interpret things differently. Like the original original versions, even before Google assistant, if you were using a voice assistant at all, you would have to say something specific, like turn on the light, right? That would be the only prompt. Now you'd be like, turn lights on and, or turn the light on, or Hey man, it's dark in here, you know, things like that. And so they're getting smarter that way, but they're still very much prompts. Like they're still very much, uh, computer prompts and you're still trying to almost like push a button with them. If you can think of it, you're pushing a button with your voice and it's just choosing what button it is that it's pressing. And that still exists a little bit with this generative AI stuff, but it's, it's getting more sociable. It's getting more human, if you will. And so I was trying to talk to ChatGPT originally. I just, I remember the first thing I actually asked it was if it's cold outside, is it safe for me to wear a t-shirt out there? 
and it named the conversation T-shirt not safe. And it gave me this big list of the stuff that why it would be unsafe. And to this day, on my computer, I have the the chat GPT because I, I just have the free version. I have the chat GPT uh, web app saved as T-shirt not safe. So, <laughs> so yeah, like, you know, because I didn't know what to ask it, clearly. And so eventually you start kind of getting it and then you can sort of start feeding it new things and feeding it new prompts. I would also say this is that I mentioned multiple different Google or like, for example, Google Assistant and Siri, different assistants, basically. What I'd recommend you do is you actually try different, different chat bots. So like try chat GPT try copilot and try copilot with or without the gpt4 option tr- uh, toggled if it's in the edge version there's a toggle there uh, as of saying this because obviously this stuff is evolving very quickly but they will serve up different responses so from my experience i find copilot to be more accessible and convenient because it's accessible right there in edge for me i have the bing app on my phone i have the edge app on my phone i have windows 11 so it's just installed and it's one keyboard shortcut away i can even dock the edge version because i just upgraded my computer and i I went from windows 10 and and windows 10 obviously copilot wasn't installed by default but i was able to take copilot from edge and actually dock it to the side of my desktop effectively or the side of my computer so i could use it just like as if it was installed type thing and so with these things come the natural sort of app accessibilities and app UXs that you would expect. So try the different ones, obviously test their responses, see which ones you like better, but also consider, consider its accessibility and all that type of thing. I'm in the, I'm in the Microsoft ecosystem. When I get it to draw pictures, it saves it to my account. So I know what's going on and I know, Oh shoot, I actually needed that picture. I go back or, Oh, I made a cool picture. I want to show a friend. It was last week. I can go back into it because I'm already signed in. So those, those sort of app, UI UXs still exist with these things. A couple more tips just off the top of my head here with, with general tips that I've tried and maybe like also just backing uh, backing up a little bit and the comparison between like traditional search engines and traditional assistants. I think there's a, a mind shift that you have to have as well where with traditional assistants, a lot of times it was like a one and done kind of game where you ask it a question, it gave you an answer and that was it. What you have to kind of wrap your mind around is the fact that these generative AIs are not one and done. So when you ask it a question and it gives you the answer and the answer is not sufficient, it's always good to give it more context. And in the same conversation, ask it to clarify something, tell it it's wrong. Like you can say, hey, your answer here is wrong. Can you find a different answer? And it will event it'll it'll come up with something new. And again, you can do it again and again up to a certain limit because these things have a contextual limit. But overall, like there is a conversation, there is a back and forth, which is I think the biggest difference from all the other tools that have existed before it. And the fact that it, it maintains context of the conversation from the first, you know, bit that you've asked it to the last bit, it, within reason. Again, and we'll talk about some limitations later. But like you do have a lot of room there where you can like have a full on conversation with it and have it clarify things and change the way it talks to you. And sometimes you sometimes you do need to start a new conversation when you've gotten into like a cyclical hole where like, you know, that what what the initial context that you had was wrong. And maybe you found a way to like give it a better prompt. 
So you start a new conversation with that better prompt. But overall, you need to understand that this isn't a one-way street anymore. We're now talking to these models, I guess, uh, more naturally and with with greater detail than before. That's the other tip that I want to say is like, you can give the more context you give it. So the more details for your question that you have, you give it the better responses it's going to give you back. I think a lot of times, again, when you're Googling something, you start with very broad questions and you try to like find the answers yourself within the results. This is a little bit different in the sense that you can't start with a broad question, uh, but a lot of times a broad question will give you a very generic answer, whereas a more specific question will give you a much more specific and direct answer to what you need. So for for example, like, uh, hey, I, I need to generate a web, a web page. You can ask it that, right, if, you're, if we're talking coding. But what it'll do is it'll most likely infer that, hey, you need an HTML file and a CSS file. It'll infer something generic for you, right? And that's probably not going to be what you want. What you need to ask it is, hey, I'm using SvelteKit. I need to generate the homepage of, of SvelteKit. Here are the details. There's a nav bar. There's this and this and this. And I'm using this library, whatever. Like you can give it as much detail as you want. And then it will generate a much more like in-depth uh, response for you. Like you'll, you'll get what you need out of it. And then you can go back and be like, hey, the nav bar you generated was wrong. Can you remake it? So that's that's what I'm trying to kind of get instill into people is that this isn't what we're used to. You need to think about this completely differently now. Well, you, Mike, uh, you and I, when we were when I was doing one of the full stack struggles, I was having issues because I was trying to I mentioned it in one of the other episodes where I was trying to get multiple pages working in Svelte, which is impossible. So it's like, OK, what do I do type thing? And then you were like, oh, you know, like a, just a page switcher, kind of like what we did in Cordova back in the day, Apache Cordova would work. And I said, well, you know, could you give me an example of that? Because I know how to do that in HTML and JS and CSS, but I don't know how to do that in Svelte. And is there a Svelte way to do that? And then you just asked ChatGPT for me, sent me the link to, I think it was the conversation. So I was able to refer to it over the next few days. And that, that was like a teaching tool. And that saved you a lot of time because you knew what to ask it to do. You knew what the task was. And I then was able to constantly refer to that conversation and I didn't have to wait for you to do it. It took like 30 seconds ra rather than a day or whatever to get an example together for me. Then I'm able to constantly, like I said, look at it and figure it out, you know, from that. And so as a learning tool, these things are great. And which is why I really wanted to bring it up here. I, I know that, Mike, you use it in you know production like you use it you, like obviously you don't just take the, <laughs> the generic code without checking it. But like you use this on production projects, you use this in your in your daily work. Whereas for me, um, I will do that on occasion, but for the most part, I use it for right now for learning during full stack struggles. And, and really, I'm learning not only the things I'm learning in full stack struggles like Svelte, but I'm also learning how to interact with these things. And, and, and that kind of transitions nicely into what I wanted to get into, because, there, you know, there's certain prompts that I think that are really good that I've come up with, but each prompt is going to be different. And each one, everyone is going to ask these things, ask the same question differently, like meaning as humans. And so I have just some tips here on sort of how I shape and conform and manipulate, <clears throat> excuse me, or just like straight up, like write out my prompts. And we'll get into that now. So the first thing I do is copy 
paste, and then ask. So if I don't know what a piece of code is doing, so if I went on Stack Overflow and I got a piece of code and I put it into my thing and it's working or maybe it isn't working, I then go, I don't know what this thing does. So I will copy that code. I will then paste that code into Copilot. And then I will ask, hey, what is this line doing? What is this doing here? And I will also ask it, hey, is this a Svelte thing or is this a JavaScript thing? And even though just a few weeks ago, it wasn't actually that good at doing that part. But now it, it actually will give me full context. It will say, this is from JavaScript. This is actually from ES6. Like this is a new thing, that, like a relatively new thing. This is why this is the way it is, blah, blah, blah. Or it will say, yes, this is the component that's from Svelte. And sometimes it will offer more of an explanation. And that allows me to draw that line, which is something that if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that I struggle with. I never know where the framework ends and JavaScript begins. And so this is allowing me to check on the fly. What is this? Is this Svelte? Oh, it is. Okay. Let, pull, let me pull up the documentation of like, let me pull up that page of documentation and let me read through that thing on Svelte. Cause I don't know, really understand what it's doing or like, I need other examples of where it is. And I could even ask the bot this. The reason why I mentioned that part is because I don't think these, this thing is necessarily, at least at this point, replacing websites. I think it's being used in conjunction. So for example, like I'll still Google things, even though I have Copilot around. Um, I will also Google things, maybe get stumped and then ask Copilot. What I find these tools really are is almost like, do you remember back in the day when Bing was around? Well, Bing is still around, but like when the old Bing was around, I guess, and they called it Bing and Decide because it's the decision-making engine. I don't know if you remember that, but that was one of their slogans, Bing and Decide. Now, I don't remember exactly what they were deciding about or whatever. I guess it's like deciding on your prompts, whatever. But like in my brain, I have like, it is like it to me, it's like the the search engine's making a decision about what I'm saying. And that's what this is doing now. Like we're one step closer to that. Like before, like I don't, no one used Bing. So like, you know, I, I don't know how well the Bing and Decide went for them. But, you know, Bing is now picking up. Obviously, Bing chat is picking up. Copilot's picking up. And this thing is binging and deciding. It's making decisions for you. It's understanding like, oh, he's confused about the line between Svelte and JavaScript. I'm going to add context. It's choosing to do that, right? The big difference here is that instead of me going in and being like, what does this line do? Like I literally copy a specific line from my code. I paste it. If I paste that into Google, I might get the very generic example. I might not get the right thing at all. This thing is taking my prompt, interpreting it, making a decision as to what the context is, and then being like, okay, this is why, this is what it needs. And you can also ask it for, it is for and like kind of comically, I've never seen this used in production, but I'm sure someone has, where you can actually ask it to do things differently. So you can actually say, explain this as if I'm a child. And then it will like explain things like you have two toys and you're trying to share them and, you know, like a classic child thing. But I mean, I'm sure there's other contexts like explain this as a junior dev or something that somebody can, somebody has come up with to get these things to explain things in an easier way. And so this thing is like really valuable that way. Whereas in the stack, in, in the old example, I would have to go on the stack overflow or go into Google, find, find a, a forum post or whatever. And then I'm interpreting all the information this thing is interpreting all the information for me making a making an informed decision right or wrong and then giving me an answer that leads nice into the next thing which is asking for examples so in obviously google if i were to go to a traditional google search and i ask for an example on something so i go you know give me the the, the top five svelte examples like i'm really confused 
you know, there might be some worksheets, there might be this and that, but it's all reliant, obviously, on content that people have made. And so if none of these worksheets or none of these examples really help me, or if I really like one of the examples and I want more like it because I want to practice and I want to read more about this, sometimes that stuff just doesn't exist, right? Whereas this thing is able to understand Svelte and JavaScript and all those things. And so I can go and be like, hey, I really like example one here. And I'll, you know, copy, paste it in. And I'll be like, can you make me more examples? Like, can you make me more examples like this? Or it's maybe it's my actual code. And, you know, I've copy pasted apart from Stack Overflow. I'm trying to get that explanation. But I don't understand what it said. Like it told me, and I assume it's correct, but I just don't understand it. And I'll be like, hey, can you show me an example of why we would use a const instead of a let or why we would use a var here because isn't var old and it will explain it to me and it and it will bring up another bit of code and it will explain its code usually in a more broken down form because it seems to understand that hey i'm confused i'm asking for an example why else would i ask for an example and that's the the to sort of like human effect that you're getting with these things over you just, you know, sifting through and bookmarking tons and tons of forum posts and then piecing it together yourself and interpreting it yourself. This thing is largely the interpreter. And then you take the answer and you interpret that, of course, but you're one step closer to an answer, or at least you're getting some context, which is nice. The one thing I really like about do, using it for examples is I'll actually ask it. So, for example, I will go into a function. I'll copy and paste it in there. And a, a really recent one is I was confused as to why we would use a const versus a let with arrow functions. And so I'll just lay out the scenario. So I was confused. I didn't really understand. I knew I knew what was going on, to be clear. I knew that it worked and the code was functioning. But I was just like, why? Why in this case is this a let and why is this a const? Like... What's the difference? So I ask Mike and Mike explains it to me and I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. And so I took Mike's advice and Mike's like kind of what he taught me. And I used that to generate a prompt to get, um, to get Copilot to generate me some examples so that I could see, okay, this is why in this context, in this code that it generated, this is why we would do it like this. We need a const here because we're trying to make sure it's a constant reference because I just didn't get it. Right. And 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 so that is a teachable moment as well, is that I do need sometimes some context for my prompt. Like I can't just be complete beginner. Sometimes I have to ask, still ask a human like I'm still bringing all of these resources in. I'm still Googling things. I'm still bringing humans in to generate to generate these prompts. I'm still asking this thing questions. I'm asking this thing questions, but sometimes my prompts are going to be wrong. It'd be like saying if, you know, you have Google Assistant control your lights, but you don't know what a light is. You, like when you say turn on the light, you're like, what, what do you mean light? Like, what do you mean? Like turn on blue because the light's blue and it, it, it's not going to know what that is. You know what I mean? So I, I would ask Mike, Mike be like, that's a light bulb. Say turn on light, turn on light. Oh, cool. The, the blue light's on now. So I still need, you still need to bring in all these different things. And I and I want to reiterate that because, yes, you can ask these things a lot of questions, but you do not want to just rely on these things. You want to still bring in. Don't feel like you're pigeonholed now, like, oh, this is the new way to ask questions. Still bring in humans, still bring in Google results, still bring in blog posts, documentation, and then it will formulate things. And then you can ask for things like examples to expand your own understanding on things you're not sure of. That goes nicely into my next point, which is expand inquiries. 
So don't just stop at what you were given. And Mike actually touched on this. So let's say you ask for, you're like, hey, give me a, give me a nav bar. And this is actually something similar that I'll talk about when we get to the example section. But give me a nav bar made in just Svelte, no Svelte kit. So it gives it to me. But let's say it, there's something wrong with it. Like it's, it just, it is the nav bar, but it's just a nav bar that's styled. It's not actually like really like, you know, switching pages or in Svelte's case, it's sort of wiping the page and putting another div up there instead. Uh, it's not doing that. It's just sort of making a nice nav bar for me. And it's also assuming things too, which I found out, which it'll assume like, oh, you want to, you know, a hamburger menu or a Navicon uh, down at a smaller value. And it's like, no, no, no. Like I didn't need all that. And and you can don't give up there. You can ask for it to correct things. You can ask for it to be like, no, no, no. Like, you know, take that code that you just did and like, you know, add a page switching mechanism to it or take that code that you just did and make it so that there's no difference between the mobile version and the desktop version. Cause I don't want there to be a difference. You can have a back and forth with these things, almost like you're peer reviewing their code, the, the bots code, and then you're giving feedback on it and it will make the changes. You can also ask for explanations within this as well, which may sound obvious, but if you ask for, you know, it, it to do something for you and you don't understand what one of the functions is that it's, it's doing, usually it will explain these things, but it will just do very briefly. So what you can do is you can be like, hey, in your code, what's that change page function doing? And like, how is it doing it? And it will, it will go through with more context and say, oh, we know we use this variable. We use this here. We use this method. The list goes on. And that's how it comes to the, and, and that's how it will explain it out to you. So you're like, okay, here we go. And that's the missing piece with something like Stack Overflow is sometimes things are explained perfectly on Stack Overflow. And there's no doubt there. Sometimes things are explained perfectly on a blog post. There's no thing, no doubt there. But on last week's episode, even Mike was saying that sometimes tutorial makers, myself included, will gloss over things. Well, this thing allows you to fill the blanks in. So if I'm following a guide, I go all the way through it. I'm able to fill the blanks in. I'm able to exp like add, expand my inquiry. My original inquiry led me to a guide on Google, uh, you know, on, on someone's website. I read through it. I did it, but I don't get this function and they just gloss over it. I'm able to expand, you know, my knowledge base now by saying, I don't know what this does. And it will say things like, I'm not really sure what this function's calling because I have no context, but this is what I assume. And you can say, oh, okay, here's the full context, including the other function that it's calling or the thing that's calling it or whatever it is. Now, what is it doing? And it's like, oh, okay, this appears to be, you know, making a nav bar shrink down, blah, 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 blah. And so what it, what it does is it, it allows you to, it, it, it's giving you the interpretation even of like your Google results if you feed it, it is the point. I use this thing a little bit in troubleshooting. I know it's, I know that would be more of a mic area. Um, because this would be more probably production, um, because obviously I'm learning. And so I'm troubleshooting all the time because I do things wrong all the time. But, um, you know, going in and copying and pasting an error, I've had some success in where I just have like a console error. And I'm like, I don't know what this does. I don't know what this is. And usually it won't solve the problem for me. Like usually it won't be like, oh yeah, on line 81, you need to, you know, fix something. Usually it'll be like, this error indicates that there's a missing something or this error is a svelte error. And so I'm like, oh, okay, now I have a thread to pull. Now I can either continue with the bot or I can go to a Google and be like, I have a spelt error that's telling me this. What is this? Or sometimes it'll be something like this is I think the one thing it did give me was this is a spelt for um, you're, like you're trying. It sounds like you're trying to do something in a spelt for method and you're using spelt three. And it's like, oh, shoot. OK. And then I ended up upgrading to spelt four. 
And so troubleshooting does absolutely help. Uh, I Again, I don't use it too much in production and things like that, but I'm sure that Mike will you know, have some comments on this. Essentially, before I would do a lot of troubleshooting through Google, uh, obviously, if I just don't have any idea what something means, I'll just throw it into Google and see what Stack Overflow article or GitHub discussion or something comes up to give me direction on where to look. Um, this was very hit and miss. Uh, it would require much more tedious work and reading and sifting through like comments of different forms and threads and stuff like that. Uh, now, usually what I'll do is I'll actually hit ChatGPT first. So I'll throw in that console error that uh, Matt was talking about and I'll get the advice from it. And Matt, like Matt said, it's usually not going to give me exactly what to do, but when I'm stuck, especially, it'll give me, it'll help me get unstuck. It'll help me, you know, take the next step and find the next error and stuff like that and give me advice on like, hey, this is what you should try as well, like to get past this or this and this and this. What you can also do with troubleshooting is like sometimes the error is really generic and you can ask it, hey, is there anything else you would need for me to, to narrow this down? And ChatGPT will come back to you and be like, hey, can you send your code? Do this, do that. What libraries are you using? And you could give it everything that it asks for and then it'll expand on its trouble, like its error handling and give you other ideas. So there's a lot you can do with this back and forth and the contextual awareness that it has that we weren't able to do with Google, obviously. And it, it, it is a very key tool for me now uh, in production or even when I'm learning something as well. Like when I'm just stuck on something, I'm, I think I've, I've been stuck much less, like really stuck where I have to like, you know, step back away from the computer and walk, go for a walk. Like that's happened to me rarely now compared to like probably a little bit more often before that. The thing, the thing that this thing is really doing for us is it's almost like we're, we're tossing. We're not actually doing this, but what I, what the impression is that I get is that we're tossing it five or six Google results that we've cherry picked and it's doing the cherry picking. And then it's taking the results and interpreting them. And that's what we usually have to do when we troubleshoot, right? Where we look at five or six Google results that we, you know, we look through probably more, but we kind of filter it down to five of them. We're like, okay, we're going to try these five solutions, or we're going to try to come up with a solution based on these five pieces of advice. And we have to, like, as humans, we have to like, look at the information, interpret it, and then, you know, design a test or design a way to troubleshoot it or design a, you know, a fix around it type thing. Whereas this thing is allowing us to sort of interpret things like that a little bit. Is that like kind of, would you say that that's correct, Mike, is that it's, you're throwing the interpretation step to it, and then it's sort of doing that in a way? Yes, exactly. That That's kind of, that. that's what I'm trying to avoid doing manually now. <laughs> like it, It's providing that manual like search because essentially what it's, what it's done is this, this language model has learned from all the stuff that I would have had to go through anyway, right? Like it's learned from all these discussions that are available historically on the internet. It can infer some things, which is new, like that's a new technology that we haven't had before. But overall, it is really just a big database with a query engine around it, like a really sophisticated query engine. So like anything that I would have thrown into Google, it's already compiled that stuff through and just saved me that step. And that's that's also an, another thing just to mention now, because we've mentioned it in passing, but that's also how it makes mistakes, because like this bot is learning from humans and humans make mistakes. And so sometimes it will basically give you a snippet that's identical or near identical to a blog that is, you know, incorrect or maybe it's for the incorrect version of whatever it is you're doing. And then, you know, like you said, you can go in and like try to correct it, but. It's a good it, it it's basically interpreting it like we would and we will make mistakes in interpreting. 
And so again, I just want to, I really want to drive that home because I know a lot of people just like the, the friggin' Tesla autopilot or whatever it is, where people are just using autopilot when they're supposed to have their hands on the wheel and they're just refusing to put their hands on the wheel type thing. It's like, I don't want, I don't want you to think, okay, you know, these AI things, at least in their current state are so trustworthy and so, so foolproof. It's like, I've, I've screwed AI up. I've made it, you know, get all confused. I've made it get, you know, talk itself in circles. I've had it where Microsoft, like, I don't know, moderation software, or whatever it is, comes in and says, hey, we got to wipe this conversation uh, because it looks like, you know, the bot's messing up or whatever, you know, sorry for this. And because these things are early and I do want to, I'm sure I'll reiterate it again and again, but they it does need to be reiterated, especially if you're listening just to parts of this episode. But one thing I do want to iterate on and I do want to actually have a conversation on and that and is actually my coffee intake. So if you know me, if you're a longtime listener to the show, you know that I drink a lot of coffee. And recently I cut it down quite a bit, but it's still a lot. And I cut it down to about three coffees in the morning. Sometimes it'd be two, sometimes it'd be one. And I would get like, you know, if I had the one, it's like I better have the two. If I had the two, it's like all right, I'm about to go sit at my desk because I've done my emails on my phone and stuff. I guess I better go and actually, you know, go to the desk and start doing, you know, some other work. So I better have that third coffee. But I've recently cut it down from three coffees down to two because I started drinking this little this little drink called Magic Mind. Now, Magic Mind comes in these little shot bottles kind of thing. It's just a quick sort of green drink, green beverage that I drink alongside my coffee. And it's only been a couple of weeks. And like I said, I've gotten my coffee intake down from three coffees to two already. Now, the benefit of this is, is that I seem to still get the energy boost like a coffee would give me, but I don't get the jitteriness. And so I've had conversations with Mike about this time and time again, where I used to drink quite literally 12 metric cups of coffees on some days, a full pot of coffee, 12 metric cups, that's 250 milliliters each cup. I would drink the whole pot of coffee throughout the day, not all in an hour or something. But then I would get like jittery and get anxiety and start panicking and I'd start sweating and everything. So I cut it down, cut it down, cut it down. But I would still get the jitteriness and sort of the unease of having three coffees really close together, of course. Right. And so this drink allows me to sort of keep that high of the coffees, if you will, like the like the good part of it, but I don't get the jitteriness. I'm not as anxious and I'm a fiery person. I get fired up really quick. I get mad pretty fast. I get like really, really upset really quickly. I'm just a fiery person. And so this has allowed me to sort of almost just sort of have the chill. And it almost has allowed me to see personally, hey, you know, maybe some of this fieriness is actually the coffee talking because I've I've listened to podcasts where I've been sick and haven't had any coffee and it's been, you know, they, I've sound like a different person, at least to me. Maybe you guys don't see it. But for me, obviously, I live with me. So I see that. I'm curious. Have you done energy drinks before? Yes. Is this like because for me, energy drinks just like amplify the coffiness. Like like I get jittery as well, but I get jittery after like three cups, like two cups is my max during the day. If I get three cups, like I start like shaking literally. So mm-hmm. I, I don't do that anymore. But if I have like if I need an energy drink at night or something like that when I'm crunch time, whatever, I find that it gives me that coffee jitteriness pretty much immediately. Like I get energy, but I'm jittery. Is this different? Like, is this a different feeling than a typical energy drink? Yeah, I, I would say so. So one of the things, one of the type of energy drinks that really makes me jittery is ones with sugar. And so that will really make me like, whoa, 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 you know, type of thing. Um, and, th- and obviously it's a big drink, has a lot of sugar in it, has a lot of caffeine in it. But the thing that always kills me is those energy drinks that have focus 
in there where it's like it enhances your focus. And it does do that. Like those energy drinks do work for me. It does enhance my focus. I'm able to sort of zoom in. But the problem is, is I'm able to zoom in for a certain amount of time. And then all that other bad stuff starts happening. I start getting kind of like shaky, which I'm probably a little bit shaky throughout, but I'm super focused. I'm dialed in. Once the dialed in is gone, I'm start getting all these bad side effects. But the like with un, under magic mind, I get that sort of focus and that sort of almost like that calm if you will. And I'm able to just be like, okay, we need to go. And there's even been times where we've had like a family emergency or something, not too super serious, of course, but like something has happened where I would normally be like, okay, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And I have to calm myself down. I just go, okay, we need to go here. Let's do it. And we just go, we just go and we do it. Now, one of the ingredients in this drink is matcha. I know that's super common and I think it's in other beverages and those type of things. I hear it all the time, but I've heard it summarized as nature's extended release version of caffeine. And so this makes a lot of sense where I'm able to have my two cups of coffee. Maybe I'd even be able to cut it down to one, if you will, but two cups of coffee in the morning, have this thing basically as my third coffee. And I've cut down my caffeine intake by around a third, at least in the morning least in the morning time. And so with this, I'd like to say that like, I would recommend this to any of my friends and family that think that they drink too much coffee throughout the day. I'd recommend that they just give it a try and just say, Hey, you know, is this going to, are you going to, you know, drink less coffee? You're going to have one or two less coffees throughout the day. And so I don't know how many coffees you drink, Mike, in the morning, but like, do you drink one? Do you drink two? Where are you at in that? I drink one in the morning and then one in the afternoon. And that's my caffeine intake for the day. That's it. So, you know, you might be able to cut that down to just one. You might be able to cut that down to zero because some people just drink the magic mind in the morning. And then I assume some water for hydration and whatever else, because this is just a small little little shot. But it may be that would even help you. And if you, the audience, are, list, are actually interested in trying magic mind for yourself, you can go to magicmind.com slash HTML and get up to 50% off your first subscription and 20% off a one-time purchase with our unique discount code HTML20. This will be, of course, in the show notes for you to take a look at. And if you are an in-store shopper and there's a Sprouts Farmer's Market location around near you starting in January, that, that is January 2024, Magic Mind will start being available in those stores as well. So you can go check those out if you'd prefer to sort of pick it up, read the bottle, do whatever you need to do and check it out there. But Mike, design help. Design help. I need caffeine help. You need design help. You said it yourself a million times. That's not me insulting you. So how, yeah, no, sir, no. <laughs> how, sir, do you use, because I, I see it in the notes here and I, the, it gives me a chuckle. How does design help or how does AI help you with design? Yeah, there's a couple of things. And like uh, to preface this, I do kind of suck at design. Um, I just, I don't know what it is. I just like, I, I get stuck at a blank screen. And then when I do try to do something unique, it becomes too unique. I don't know. It's just janky. It's something that I would need to work on to really get good at, but I just don't have the time because I'm working on mostly infrastructure and backend and like, you know, front end logic. So it's design's always been on the back burner for me. That's, I want to say that clearly, but sometimes I do need to design something. Like sometimes there's a feature that needs to get designed out. Uh, maybe it's just like, Hey, I need to design this filter tag or Hey, I need to design this like new button set or something like that. Like there's, there's, there's different little things that I just can't wait on a designer to get me. And I need to put a, like a, my best foot forward first and then get it redesigned later. So ChatGPT has started helping me with that process. First of all, what it can do is 
I can give it my criteria of, hey, like I need a, a button design that, you know, has certain elements to it. Maybe it need, has a loading state. Maybe it has something else. Uh, can you design this button and show, like, give me, uh, first of all, an, a breakdown in text on what you're doing, right? Like, so it can give you like a, a response and like, hey, this is this is the kind of theory that I have for designing this button. And then you can also, now that Dolly 3 has been integrated into ChatGPT directly, you can actually ask it for different design inspiration ideas and different like color palettes and different scaffolding, like how, whatever you want, like any any information that you need from a design perspective, you can ask it. It does have some severe limitations when it comes to like logo creation. That's I've noticed that. Like, for instance, I tried to make it get it to, to design us a new logo for HTML, all the things. And specifically the fact that I don't know if HTML of things is just too long of a word or something. Every time it would try to like spell out HTML of the things, it would be super janky. Like it would be like H C M T and then just some like gibberish and then thing like uh, something that kind of looks like the word things. It's really weird um, in that sense. I don't know why I can't handle like text in images when you ask it to. It'll just give you kind of like look alien looking text. That's the that's the best way I can put it. Like the text that it gives you is very alien looking, like an alien language. Uh, but overall, like it did give me some good ideas. First of all, on how a, a logo for a podcast about H, like uh, web development should look. That was the first thing I did. I was like, hey, can you give me a, like a bird, like a sorry, a written breakdown of what you would what are good ideas for a logo for a podcast that's about web development. And one of the ideas, for instance, it gave me was like, Hey, have it so that you have, um, around the word HTML, have it so that you have like the, the, the triangle brackets, like a HTML tag, and maybe make those triangle brackets that into what's something that looks like uh, headphones. So like that's incorporating both the web development aspect and the podcast aspect around the word HTML super cool idea that I would have personally never thought of. Like that's a pretty creative thing that I don't know where it pulled from. Uh, it could, that, that it came up with, which was really awesome. Uh, we haven't executed on that to be fair. Like I think Matt, like Matt and I still have to sit down and be like, Hey, how do we, you know, where, where do we go from here? Like who do we contract to get us something new, but we are kind of looking for a rebrand. So that's, it's been really cool for that kind of stuff. I don't know. Like there's just so many cool things from a design aspect that you could do with this, that, I was just scratching the surface, like the very surface. I know our team uh, at the company that I'm working at right now, the design team heavily uses it to generate like fun graphics for Twitter and stuff like that. Like recently we had like this voting booth thing, uh, contest competition, and they designed, like they asked it to design a futuristic looking photo booth or voting booth, sorry, and put that into like a social media graphic. Like it's super cool the way it works and what you can do with it as someone that has very limited artistic skills, especially. This is a really good example of AI advancing. And the reason why I say that is because the text part came first and all this stuff is relatively new, but a year old. And so it was able to give you text advice, but then your description of it messing up the text has been fixed largely just in the past few weeks. In my experience, in the past few weeks, I've been able to get it to generate little graphics with text. Mostly I've just been doing little jokes with friends. Like it's just been sent in discords. Like it's nothing serious, but before I would be like, Hey, you know, make a little general store, you know, for a D and D game that we're playing or something like that. And it would be like general store, but it'd be like G and then it would just be bunch of gibberish. 
and it almost looks like a mock-up, if you will. Now it'll actually write general store or like match general store. And one of the suggested rebuttals or responses that Microsoft Copilot will give you is if it gives you like a picture, it'll say, you know, add text to that is the suggestion. So like the, the text engine or whatever it is has really improved recently. And this is an this is a perfect example of that. These things are early and they're advancing quickly. It has been one year and I am constantly reaching for Copilot by pressing Win C. And the fact that you use this thing for design help also proves like design inspiration is key. And not only just design like graphically, but Mike, you and I have used it to, if you will, design our headlines to design or like literally type out our podcast title where we'll give it like a bunch of podcast titles and be like, which one do you think is best for SEO? I don't think we've ever used one verbatim, but we've definitely used it for inspiration to then generate a title type thing. And so like this thing is just a great place to bounce ideas off of and visual design, writing, you know, creative things. You it's very valuable to have a person or in this case, a machine to bounce ideas off of. And this is exactly what it's really good at. And it's getting better at drawing. And I do want to point out that, yes, the drawing is controversial. You know, it is learning from other artists and other artists are concerned about this. I think those concerns are valid. I haven't read them all, but like the general concern is like, hey, you're learning off of me. Yes, like that's a good question. How are we going to handle that? I don't have those answers, to be fair. You know, I don't I don't know what the answer is there. I do have a piece on our website that talks about it where I'm like, hey, you know, if you're you know, if you're using an AI art somewhere, maybe you should disclose that of which I'm not perfect at doing that. I forget to do that all the time. But just like there's ways to sort of handle it with grace. And so just something to consider. Like, I'm not saying like, you know, yeah, go just get all your art done, fire your artists and. Go get your logos done. You know, that that's absolutely not what I'm saying. And even Mike said it's a tool within the design team. The people that would normally without these tools have drawn or laid out, you know, the layouts of things, the logos of things, whatever they would have done that anyway. And so they're still hired. They're just using this as a tool. And so it's I just wanted a bit, little bit of a disclaimer there because I know people this is this is a trigger point and I do understand it. I just don't have the answer to this to this moral dilemma because I'm not an artist. So I just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Mostly like the thing that this does is mostly enhance what could have been done. So before, if those social media graphics would have gone out, they probably would have been a bit more boring, in my opinion. Like no one would like they wouldn't have contracted out an artist to draw these nonsensical little things. Right. Like that's not something that our company would pay for. But since it's available now, our graphics are a little bit more fun. Right. Like that's that's it. We're not it's not laying anyone off. It's not taking anyone's lunch. Um It'll be different probably in the future. Like realistically, it's going to get better and better. And the reality is, is like the AI, you know, shift might happen at some point where it will start taking jobs in mass, but it's not happening right now. So we can't really comment on it. Like we, we can't say that, hey, you know, start, you know, preparing your farming skills or something because it's just not happening. Like it's just like AI is not being the thing that is taking people's jobs. It's not the case. Not yet anyway. And and yeah. like, who knows the future, right? It's exactly, it's, I, I do agree with questioning and being like, Hey, like yeah. what direction are we going and things like that. But, um, in terms of like, you know, the context of this podcast, we don't have those answers. We're just basically, you know, d- describing how to use these things as tools and how we use them. Uh, and if you're like, you know what, I don't want to touch that. 
design stuff. Like I think I think I'll always get an artist to commission it like power to you. Like I'm not saying you should or should not do that. You know, power to you in that case. And you want to employ more people because like, I mean, we employ a, a like we work with rather a writer and, you know, a writer for the site. And, you know, obviously we didn't just go to the compose mode, which is in the edge version of Copilot and just say, write a blog post about JavaScript for me or write a blog post about CSS variables. Like our articles are written by people. You know, like that's that's the way it is at at the moment in the future. Will it change? I don't know what the future holds, but uh, yes, exactly. So that's that's the thing. Like it's it's up in the air. I don't really want to spe- speculate until we know that it's going to be something that's going to revolutionize everything. We need more um, data than a year's worth yes. of data because this thing might stall out just like Go- everyone thought Google Assistant was going to be super hyper intelligent. And it the, the dang thing always screws up what, what light to turn off and on for me sometimes. So right. like it ain't. It's a lot better than it was, but it ain't, you know, hyper intelligent. If this thing stalls out where it's at and doesn't really get much better, I mean, whose job cool is it tool. taking? It's yeah, a cool, it's a cool tool. tool. That's yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. And it's fine. Like, I'm, I'd be perfectly fine with that because I'm, it's in my workflow. I'm not going to take it out of my workflow. Cool. Right. Yeah, like, same here. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Um, next thing here that I want, I did want to cover, though, is like a good starting point scaffold, right? Like, it, it's a. AI provides a really good starting point for you when you're staring at a blank screen. That's the main thing that I wanted to get point get across with this because a lot of times, whether it be you're writing a new component for your code or whether you're starting from scratch and you have a new code base, the hardest part is like that first like, hey, I just need to write this like HTML tags here. I need to have this skeleton structure of my HTML. I need to have the skeleton structure for my JavaScript. I need to pull in this data. Just having a simple scaffold setup where you can go in and start editing it will get you over that edge of like, I don't want to do this. And it, like, it's a mind blocker, right? Like a lot of times writing is a good example, staring at a blank page for a, a, a writer. That could be something that's, you know, triggers uh, writer's block. With, with AI, with these tools, I think writer's block is almost a thing of the past. I don't want to say, like, it's not that radical. Obviously, people are still going to be, like, creatively blocked, and AI is not going to solve that across the board. But I would say that, like, a lot of times what solves creator's block is the conversation back and forth and is, like, idea generation and the ability to get your stuff looked at and edited and all that. Like, a... A way like a way that you can use AI is again generate an idea board or generate like the first paragraph of your article. Like if you're going back to again the writer's block, hey, I can't get past this first paragraph. Just generate me something. And it's gonna be bad, most likely. Right? But it might give you that starting point of being like, okay, you know what? I can edit this here, I can edit this here, and then I can move on and maybe come back to this later. That's the that's the like a really, really good use case for. AI in general. And it's the same thing with coding. So like you need to generate that button, right? But you just don't want to like, you have to open up a new file. You have to write out all the little like scaffolding bits that you need to do. Well, a good example would be, hey, I've already written like a select field. I've already written one of these buttons like in the style that I want it or whatever. I need to generate a new one, paste that code in to uh, ChatGPT or Bing AI, whatever. And be like, hey, I need to, I need you to generate like, hey, here's a select field. I need you to generate a button in the same style, in the same like formatting. And then boom, you have a scaffolded button. 
And then you can go in and yes, you need to add some JavaScript here. You need to add some props here and stuff like that. But it's already given you that starting point and it saved you a bunch of time as well, usually, and made your code more uniform because it's already, it's using a data point of, hey, this is the right stuff. And it's making something that looks exactly like that. There's so many little things like we could have, this episode could go on for probably another like six hours. And I'm not kidding. And I'm I'm exhausted right now. So we're not going to do that. But like, it could go on for that long and we could still not get to the point where we've covered everything. I, I think it's really a really cool technology. And I just like, I, I hope that some of this stuff has maybe not given you like exact guidelines on how to use it, but has given you the opportunity to be like, okay, maybe I can add this into my workflow in, in X, Y, and Z. And that will in turn allow you to branch out more. I guarantee it. If you haven't added it to your workflow, just Add it into one little point because you'll understand it more once you start using it. That's the only way I can put it. I agree. Yeah. If you, you know, add it to your workflow or like even just play with it a bit and see where it could go in your workflow. If you don't think it's going to work, you don't think it's going to work or try to add it to your workflow. I would also like to say that if you're working with really confidential information, you are sending this information to a bot. And so uh, be careful what you send it. Like, just make sure that's not super like, don't be like, here's my credit card number. What do I do with, you know, (laughs) don't be doing, you know, personal information or things like that, that you aren't comfortable sending to, let's just say like sending to the cloud, the void, because who knows, right? With these things. But I do have one example that I just want to go through because this doesn't really translate well, I don't think, to an audio show of me going through like the bot said this and then I said this and then did you hear what she said? And like, you know, it's annoying. So I just have one that I do want to go through and I'm just going to going to give you feedback and sort of paraphrase what the bot said and that type of thing. So this example is me asking copilot in edge. I want to be clear. This is the edge copilot and my my exact query was or prompt is give me an example of a basic nav bar with just svelte and not svelte kit and so the output that it gave me it gave me a nav bar it gave me some in some inline svelte within the html it's using on mount which is you know quote unquote within the realm of just svelte it's doing all that stuff but it did not make any sort of page switcher which felt requires a custom page switcher because you can't just link to different files under normal circumstance. If you're trying to keep everything contained in Svelte, what you need to do is you need to have like, let's say like a main page div and then that main page div just kind of gets wiped and then they get the content inside gets replaced with another quote unquote page because it's a single page app maker, if you will. And so it doesn't know because I just said, make me a basic nav bar. It made me one that was responsive. It had like a hamburger menu and blah, blah, blah. And it like knew those things. So sometimes you need to be more specific. Like if I wanted a page switcher, I need to I need to realize, okay, I need to ask for this now. I need to ask for that. Also, I would like to say that this that the responses, at least in edge, are limited in characters. And the actual code it generated me was HTML. It was also JS with Svelte in there, of course. And then also uh, a little bit of CSS. But CSS does get lengthy and it my CSS ended up getting cut off because it hit the character limit. Right. So that is something else that you can sort of steer around where you can say, you know, gave me give me an example of a basic nav bar with felt with just felt and not spell kit, but do not include the CSS. You can do that. And that is what I did. I restated a query just like that. Unfortunately, it just re- reiterated what it had done and it included the CSS and it got cut off again. This points out one of those errors I'm talking about. These things are early and sometimes they'll just kind of at least in my experience, they'll just get stuck in a rut and they'll just keep repeating 
what they said before without taking into consideration the fact that I've changed my sentence. Now, I did try a fresh conversation. So on on the next day, so today, right before the show, I just wrote the exact same prompt. Give me an example of a basic nav bar with a Svelte and not Svelkit. Fresh conversation within Copilot. And the output was no, had no CSS. And it gave me a nav bar with HTML and JavaScript. And it even gave me some CSS, but didn't write it out. It gave me a link and it said the styles for this can be found here. And it literally just gave me a link where I can access the styles for the example that it it gave me. And it still did a bunch of the inferring, I guess you could call it, where it said, okay, you know, we're going to have a... a, a, uh, like a media query, more or less, where we're going to make sure that the window, you know, once it hits 767 pixels wide, it's going to change how the nav bar looks and those type of things. But once again, it did not give me a simple page switcher because I didn't ask for it. So the in the exact same conversation, I then said, add a simple page switching mechanism to this only using Svelte. And I just realized I missed the word too. So maybe that's what messed this up because the query it gave me was correct, but not correct. It generated me with just felt a with and no CSS. It generated me a page switching mechanism with a nav bar, but it didn't have the exact same nav bar. It didn't give me like it didn't just add the code in there. The original code it gave me, there was a nav with obviously like a UI and an LI, you know, like an unordered list, but it had a wrapper div and that's just gone. So it kind of didn't it didn't really use the exact code it was like if I really liked that code that it had before, and I just wanted it to add. It didn't do that one to one. And so these things are great jump off points, like Mike said, like. If I didn't know how to do this, I can take this and I can be like, oh, you know, there's a function called handle page change. It's bound to buttons in the LI. It's on click. Okay, so on click, it's running the function handle page. It's passing it, you know, home. Okay, what does that do? Go up to the function. Okay, well, the current page is home. What's it going to do? I'm able to go through this. And as a learning tool, this is super, super valuable. But just like we just described, I didn't get the result that I wanted right away, partially due to my fault to, for not having a clear prompt, but also because these things aren't perfect. And so I, I know I keep reiterating that, but that's really, really important. But this is, an, this is a really good, this is a really, really good jump off point because at the end of each of these queries, it explains it. So just to read a small excerpt of part of this thing for the last query, it says, this code creates a simple page switching mechanism between two pages, home and about. The current page variable is used to keep track of the current page and the page's object maps the page names to the respective components. And then it explains what the function does. It explains what the media query handler does and all those type of things. And this is really this is really cool because I literally caught, co- like, there's a copy button and I copied it from the the query and it literally pasted it into Google when I pasted it into Google Docs and it highlights the names. It has the names of things that need to be like home about the name of the function. They're in green and they're in a different font, it looks like. So they're easy to see. And even though the query says or even though the response, excuse me, says, hey, click the button below, it actually makes a link out of it on here 
And so I can just click it. And so by me copying that thing, I get all the context. I get the tabbed in, you know, with, with the code and everything. So this is super, 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 super valuable stuff for people that are like, hey, how would I change pages with Svelte? This is a great jumping off point. Is this the most efficient way to do it? Maybe not. I never ran this code. Maybe there's an error. And the point there is that you can go in and you can say, hey, that, that about button ain't going to the about page. It's going to the home page. And the home page is going to the about page. If you flip them, what's going on there? And it will literally say, oh, you know, I apologize. Let me flip those. And it will generate more code and it will flip it for you. And so this is, this is, you know, if we were doing this and you were completely, you know, you didn't know what to do, you would be looking through, you know, different ways to do it. People would have different opinions on how to switch pages in Svelte and blah, 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 blah. And maybe, you know, that's really great if you want to find the most efficient way and, and whatever, but I'm just learning. This is perfect for me. I now have a page switcher. I'm able to switch my pages and I can take each one of these things. Like there's a thing here that says media listener dot ad listener media query handler. And it's in the on mount. I don't know what that means. Maybe I can copy that and literally say, what is this? And if I notice in a different conversation, let's say it's days later and I want to ask copilot, Hey, what is this? I didn't notice. I didn't understand this. I could say I'm using Svelte. What is this doing? Paste enter. Oh, this is the non-mount, blah, blah, blah. This is what it's doing. There's probably a function called this and the list goes on and it's probably doing 767 because that's the average tablet size and the list again goes on. So this is really, really cool stuff. And I, you know, I, I'll end it there because I know that this sort of section of the show, which is why we put it at the end, doesn't necessarily translate to audio well, but I did want to kind of give you a workflow insight into, okay, you know, there's problems and you, you aren't going to get the absolute perfect result, but you are going to get you know, a response that makes sense. And when you're talking to a human, you're not going to get the perfect result either. Like when I asked the constant let thing of Mike, uh, I think there was like a misconception where you were like, well, just use the function keyword. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, like I understand I can just use the function method or whatever it is. And I know I can just declare it with function declaration, but I just want to know, like, just for my learning, I'm not stumped for my learning. I want this. And you know, that's not like a problem in our conversation. We're not arguing about that, but that is like I had to re-query the same thing with these things is treat them like humans, but just treat them almost like you have to be really direct, like a, like you have to be really direct with this particular human and be really specific sometimes. And it will, you know, infer some things. Sometimes it won't. And you have to mess around with it. Yeah, I feel like the bluntness, like you have to be very blunt with AI. Um, and I feel like it's <laughs> weirdly taught me to be more blunt with people, too, uh, like which is kind of a good thing, honestly. Like, I feel like I was beating around the bush a lot before and I tried to, like, spare feelings too much. And with AI, you don't do that. And with people, you probably shouldn't either. Like, you shouldn't waste people's time. Um, you don't want to be, like, too blunt and insult them to their, like, for no reason. But if you're trying to get information or, like, asking them a question, being direct is better than, you know, asking 15 different questions just to beat around the bush. You know what I mean? Like, so it... It is that kind of mentality. Uh, I know, like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's something that I've noticed with myself where I, I used to be a little bit less, like, a, a little bit less blunt. Now I'm learning to get going with that kind of stuff. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm better at it. <laughs> no, it, it absolutely makes sense. And, and I'm sure it's actually even doubly true if you work with AI. And what I mean by that is if you, like, literally work on the AI, uh, as like an engineer of some sort, like, you know, I'm sure that they're like, they, they would have to take their very human responses and be like, okay, what is the most boiled down 
you know, like questions or prompts that people will ask because we need to generalize it. We need to take everyone's like, hey, turn that light on, turn the light on, turn the light on in this room. We need to boil that down into, you know, a few that work across all that and like train the AI about that. Do you know, do you know what I'm trying to say? And so like we might, what's, what's an interesting observation is maybe we will become more blunt as a society as we interact with our machines more and more, or maybe the machines will bend to us. Who knows? Interested to see. It will, it will be interesting. I'm sure, I'm sure if like, anything changes majorly, we'll have another AI episode next year where we're like, man, last year we thought this was good. Now it's just crazy. But anyway, that concludes the episode. Remember, we are on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash HTML. All the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. Many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Meko Kiri from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.c. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Gunner Burnett via gunnerburnett.com. Watoto Coding via watotocoding.com. Garrett's a goal. And Level Up Financial Planning via www.levelupfinancialplanning.com. And we'd also like to thank, and or rather give a shout out to Michael LaRocca, a contributing author on htmlallthethings.com. Michael is the author of the self-taught, the X-Generation blog at selfta.txg.com. Link will be in the show notes on htmlallthethings.com. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform you're listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.